or far from home is for the better. What we dream, it's all that matters. We're on our way, united. Turn the crowd up now, we'll never back down. Shoot down a skyline, watch it on prime time. Turn up the love now, listen up now. Turn up the love. Who's gonna say? Chapter 19 The peregrine falcon is the fastest animal on earth. Faster than the cheetah or gazelle. Faster than the fastest dolphin or shark. Faster than any bird. In a dive, it can break 200 miles an hour. I flapped. Up, up, up. Burning energy like I didn't care. And I didn't. I wouldn't be needing energy for later. There wasn't going to be a later. Cassie down. Rachel down. I felt sick inside. But I was going to take a howler with me. I flew hard and fast and caught a little help from a headwind that I rode like a skateboarder going up the side of a pipe. Then I took careful aim, judged the distance, and dived. I didn't reach 200 miles an hour, but I was breaking 100 by the time I slashed the top of a howler who was ripping after Tobias. The howler grabbed his head, howling a more emotional and less dangerous howl than the one he was named for. He fired wildly at me, but I was out of there. I kept most of my momentum and banked right, flapping hard, then raked a howler who had just dropped Marco with a burst of flechettes. Marco! I cried. Demorph! Demorph! I couldn't tell if he was still alive, but I could see his assailant. He got a face full of razor-sharp talon. I aimed for his eyes. The howlers had never been beaten. I wondered how they liked what I was doing to them. I got my answer immediately. Three of them converged, racing toward me, flinging themselves forward in mad, heedless pursuit of the little creature who had dared to hurt them. Not too fast, Jake, I told myself. I flew but not at full speed. Rather, I used my speed to dodge and weave and frustrate the howlers, who fired everything they had at me. Close enough, I thought. Now, down! I dropped below tree level, down to the walkway. But here, the walkway was almost a void of escort. I stuck to the path, fighting exhaustion, flapping, turning, flapping, turning, and the howlers were after me. They ripped through their hedges, blew trees apart with flechettes, burned flowers and bushes out of their path. Always going up and down in a circuitous path, they were cutting straight through. In seconds, they would cut me off. I couldn't outrun them when I had to travel ten feet for every one foot of theirs. But I had to stay down, had to stay on the path, had to hope I was right about direction and distance, had to hope the howler's arrogance, the cockiness of the never-defeated, would help me. 
Turn, turn, turn! Around I came. A howler burst through the hedge just in front of me. Trapped! Was I right? Was I there? I went straight at the howler. He aimed. I jerked suddenly upward and dropped slowly, like a wounded bird, like a slow, loopy volleyball, over the hedge to the far side. The howler ripped through the hedge, smelling victory. He ripped right through and clawed at the air. The escort were crazy not to put guardrails around the edges of their platforms, but it was a kind of crazy I could get to like. The howler fell, fell, clawing the air, screaming in rage and frustration, miles above the ground. He had a long way to fall. And then it hit me. Now was the time. I was in the right place and in the right morph. Down he fell, quickly achieving maximum falling velocity, which, in the gravity of the escort world, as it turned out, was less than 200 miles an hour. Chapter 20 Down, down, down. The howler was face down, yelling and grabbing air. Helpless. I flew straight down, flopping hard, helping gravity work. The howler was right below me, oblivious. He had other things on his mind. I folded my wings back, brought my talons forward, and latched onto his leg. If he felt my sharp talons, he didn't show it. I looked past him at the ground so far below. How long would it take us to fall? Long enough? No way to know. Had to try. I began to demorph. We were falling at the same speed now, the howler and I. I tried to hold on to him as my talons became fingers, as my body grew and grew, almost as large as his. I tried to hold on to that half-cooled lava skin, but my talons slipped as the claws became fingernails. I lost my grip. I grabbed again with a stubby hand and an arm eight inches long. Missed. We fell. My eyes lost their falcon focus. I could no longer see every detail of the ground far below me. It was a blur. It made it seem further away. A small comfort. Human, I fell. My face just inches from the howler's left leg. He had stopped clawing the air. He was no longer moving. He had a long time to contemplate his fate. I didn't feel sorry for him. Maybe I should've. Maybe Cassie would've. But this howler, or one just like him, had burned her wing off. Had shot Marco. At least one of the others. Maybe all of them by now. I wanted him to have a nice, long time to think about that as he fell. I grabbed, this time with human fingers. He swiveled suddenly, turned his body all the way around, and stared down at me, his blank blue eyes wide with shock. He reached for his dracon beam. I snatched it first and threw it away. It fell, twirling beside us, five feet away and a million miles out of reach. I knew what was coming next, but the howler didn't. He started his howl, the first notes ear-splitting, brain-numbing, but it was too late. I had begun to acquire him, and he felt the torpor, the lethargy, that creatures usually feel when acquired. He stared, eyes full of hate, unable to raise his deadly howl. While I kept my grip on him, while I drained his DNA into me, I used my free hand to strip away his weapons, 
one by one. They made a small arsenal falling around us. I pushed away. The air caught me and spun me end over end. I windmilled my arms, trying to stabilize, but it was a foolish instinct. I calmed down and began to morph. The ground was so close now. Close. So close. It was as if, at the end, we were moving faster and faster, as if the last half of the fall took only a tenth as long as the first half. Fear distorts reality. Reality was plenty distorted. I tumbled wildly, seeing the ground sweep by beneath me one minute, then the howler above me. My shove had set him tumbling, too. It was all that saved me, because he began to howl. But the blasts of sound only hit me glancing blows as we spun like a pair of suicidal skydivers. I felt the itchiness of feathers growing from my skin. The ground! So close! Hard beak pushed out from my lips. The ground! Rushing up now. Grim, scruffy trees and drifting, ground-hugging fog. My arms were shriveling, the bones thinning, hollowing. Too late! A thousand feet, five hundred, one hundred feet, treetops rising around me. I opened my wings. I felt them fill and strain, the muscles almost tearing with the effort. The howler fell away from me. Tell the big red eye that Jake says hi, I said. My wings filled, and I flew at impossible speed across the treetops. Chapter 21 I could see why the Iscourt had built their Dr. Seuss towers. The surface of the planet was a reeking, swampy mess of a place. I gained altitude to get above the sulfur smell, but then had to rest. My falcon body was revived by remorphing, but it was a several mile ascent to get back to where I'd left the others. And how was I ever going to find that level? The structure of the Iscourt city was unimaginably complex. Flying outside of it, I could see just what an awesome structure it was. Nothing ever built on Earth even came close. The pyramids would not have made the footing of the smallest pillar at the base of this thing. The World Trade Center and the Sears Tower were tinker toys. The Iscourt may have been the most obnoxious species in the galaxy, but they could definitely build. What would I find when I managed to retrace my fall? Had Cassie demorphed? Had she survived? Was Marco still alive? Axe, Tobias, Rachel? They'd been hopelessly outgunned. Part of me expected to find that the score would be one howler and all five of my friends. I pictured finding their crumpled bodies. The image drained the strength from my muscles. I had to get back. But I couldn't stand thinking about what I'd find. I couldn't live without them. Couldn't. I felt a surge of anger at Eric. Marco was right. What right did Eric have to cling to his non-violence in a universe where the Howlers annihilated entire species on orders from an evil force? How do you stand on the sidelines when evil is running amok? Eric was the only one of us who could fight a Howler and win. He had the power. He alone had the power. We'd freed him for one hour from his peaceful programming. The result had been terrifying. He had annihilated a Yurk force that would have destroyed us all. Yes, the Pemelites had created him and all his kind to be peaceful, 
to be physically incapable of violence. And it was irrational of me to be angry. But with Cassie and Rachel and maybe everyone dead and me alone, I didn't care. The Pemelites were fools. They'd been wiped out by the Howlers while their incredibly powerful androids had stood by and done nothing. The Pemelites had not reprogrammed the Chi. Idiots! The Chi could have saved them. The Chi could have been turned loose to destroy the Howlers the way the Howlers destroyed everyone else. And then... And then, when the Chi had destroyed the Howlers, what would they do next? What do you do with a species devoted to war? What do you do once you've created an awesome weapon and turned it loose? The Pemelites would have had to be sure they could rein in the Chi. They would have had to be sure they could control them. Turn them off. Just as Craig would need a way to control the Howlers. The Howlers weren't androids, so how did Cryak ensure they would never get out of control? And, since their job was to murder and murder and murder without pity, what would Cryak even think out of control would mean? Out of control for a Howler would be not killing. An out of control Howler would be a Howler who felt remorse, pity, kindness. That would be intolerable to Cryak. I laughed bitterly. Nice speculation but my friends were probably all dead, and I was alone. And all I could hope for now was to live long enough to get home again. Jake, is that you or some other Paragon Falcon? Tobias! Yeah, I've been looking for you. You're alive! Same back at you, fearless leader, he said with a laugh. We figured you were done for. Axe saw you go over the side with that howler. Is everyone... is anyone? Tobias sounded less ebullient. We're all still there, but it wasn't pretty. Cassie, Rachel, and Marco all got nailed pretty bad, but they all managed to demorph. Eric caught up with us and created a hologram of Iscord. Cassie said you told her the Howlers couldn't attack Iscord. Guess that's why they didn't howl. But everyone's okay? I pressed, unable to fully believe it. Tobias laughed. Yeah, Big Jake, everyone's alive. Anyway, we got everyone inside the hologram, and the Howlers seemed stumped. But I guess they figured out we weren't really Iscord, so it was okay to attack. By then, we were all assorted bugs, crawling around the trees. Guide found us another place. Wait till you see. How about your Howler? It's not teams of seven anymore. It's seven to six now, I said. Fortunately, Tobias had kept track of where he was. He easily led the way back to a level three stories down from where we'd been. This level was different from any we'd seen thus far. It seemed to be an industrial district. The separation from the floor above was several hundred feet. The predominating colors were gray and brown. And the factories, if that's what they were, looked as drab and windowless and shabby as any factories on Earth. Here, as we flew above them, we met a new variation on the escort. These had longer, stronger arms, more massive shoulders, and their eyes were hooded with thick, retractable lids. There were very few out and about. Those I saw, though, seemed boisterously happy and oblivious to the griminess around them. But their whining diaphragms were so loud that a small group of them whining together could make you long for earplugs. We circled around a few times, looking for howlers. 
but they were not in sight. We landed. I demorphed and went inside. I thought I was past the emotion. I thought I was over that feeling of hollowness I felt, imagining them all gone. But then, there they were. Rachel, scowling. Marco looking down at the floor, withdrawn. Axe, off by himself, still no doubt blaming himself. Eric, with his hologram turned off, an unemotional android face. And Cassie. Prince Jake! Axe cried, the first to see me. Cassie was on her feet and running toward me, and I was running to her. And I wasn't past any emotion. I was exploding with emotion. Cassie jumped into my arms, and I wrapped her up tight, and before I knew it, I was kissing her on her lips, and she was kissing me back. It's about time, Rachel grumbled. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, we are almost done, aren't we? I think we got maybe one episode, two episodes left. I think it's two. Uh, I'm not gonna check. The book's right here in front of me, but I'm not gonna check. I think it's two. <laughs> um, but we're in it, huh? Uh, I got, I got a message, first of all. Let's start with that. Uh, this was sent in once again through Tumblr. Um, this is our longtime listener, Willis. That Tumblr is audiomorphscast at audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. Woo! You tell him a little out of it. It's getting close to dinner time. I'm a little, I'm a little loopy. Uh, but Willis wrote in and said, uh, honestly, I think I would take an alligator snapping turtle as a morph. Not my main morph, but I grew up in Missouri swimming in backcountry rivers, and the scariest thing in those waters were alligator snapping turtles. They generally avoid waters with humans, but you are, but you always hear stories. So being able to turn into the scary underwater monster from my childhood would probably be cathartic. As for a battle morph, probably a brown bear like Rachel. As the bigger, as a bigger queer man, I've always felt, (laughs) excuse me, as a bigger queer man, I've always felt a connection to bears. Uh, and a lot of their, and a lot of the early battle morphs seem to be the first animal they can think of, so that would be bear for me. Uh, thank you for writing in, Willis. Um, I would imagine that as a bigger, uh, queer man, you would identify with bears. Um, that's a fun thing. That's almost like, um, spoilers if you guys are listening, uh, through to this series for the first time. Um, but, so skip forward like 30 seconds. Uh, but that episode where, not that, ep- that book where, uh, they travel back in time and they go to the south and some, like, college kids, um, start being racist toward Cassie and then Cassie transforms into a polar bear and is like, am I white enough for you now? I feel like you could have a lot of moments like that, uh, with being a bear and then being a bear, you know? Fun stuff. We love, we love a morphing, uh, uh, wordplay, uh, moment, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, also, yeah, alligator snapping turtles are very scary. Um, I used to watch a lot of the, those, uh, what, what was his name? It was, uh, Coyote something? Coyote Peterson? Was that the guy? He used to have a YouTube channel, but I think he got, like, a show on Discovery and stopped posting. (laughs) But, uh, he was, like, a nature guy, kind of a Steve Irwin-esque, right? And, um, he, but, like, in, in, like, the the swamps of Ohio or whatever. It was a lot more like local to the US and and not alligators. But like he uh he did uh several episodes on snapping turtles. I don't know if they were alligator snapping turtles, but they were certainly 
um, a form of Snapping Turtle, and he showed kind of the bite force a Snapping Turtle has. It's a lot. Uh, Snapping Turtles have a tremendous amount of bite force. Uh, they can break bones with their jaws. They're so strong. Which So, yeah. Great morph. Very scary. Bear. Also very scary. Great choices. <laughs> um, if you'd like to write in like Willis, you can do that through that Tumblr. You can also do that through Gmail. That's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. And, of course, uh, on my website, theapodcalypse.com. The Apocalypse, like Apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. You can also reach me on Twitter, that's at Audiomorphs, and that's where you should check if I'm ever late uploading. That's where I will be posting, letting you know what's going on. Uh, other than that, um, I was real upset with K. Applegate for having uh, two sentences back-to-back uh, with the words would have had in a row. Uh, that's <laughs> not easy to say quickly, um, and I had to do it a lot. And you might still be able to hear it on the second one. I just could not get it in one take. Um, oh, there was one other thing I wanted to mention, which was that uh, in this at the end of this chapter, uh, we got we got the first Jake and Cassie kiss because he was so torn up about the idea that his friends and especially Cassie might be dead that the emotion overwhelmed him and he kissed her, um, which is very cool. I do have to say that. Uh, I, I don't know if, uh, Applegate was the one who wrote this or where, or if we're in the ghost written era, but, uh, I don't think the battle sequence really emphasized the peril the rest of them were in, in a way that, uh, made the rest of Jake's subsequent monologues and emotional reactions, uh, quite work for me. Um, this is just my own hot take that I'm sharing with you now, that you're my captive audience. Um, I feel like in a lot of the other books we've uh, cleared up to this, when someone's in trouble in a battle, uh, they are, like, really in trouble, right? Like, in the um, in the, the first time they morph dolphins, like, Marco gets really messed up in that fight, right? And the book, like, lets you know how messed up he is. Or, like, uh, when they turned into flies to get on the airplane and Jake gets squashed. Like, there's no bones about, like, what kind of danger they're in. Um, and in this one, I felt like it was, like, they were in danger, but it it was, like, hmm, how, how, do, how to word this? It was, like, I don't know. It, it felt, like, brushed over, right? It was, like, oh, Cassie got shot with a Drake on beam. Oh, no, she's in trouble. Demorph, Cassie, demorph. It was, like, I, I don't know. It, it just didn't quite work for me. And so... Um, and I think maybe it was just because there, there was just so they wanted to put everyone in peril and there wasn't time or something. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but, um, if I were in charge of, I don't know, updating these books in any way, this would be a section I would focus on punching up because I think it, I think it could be better than it is. That's all I'm saying. Um, but I'm just a guy, you know, I didn't have a hit young adult sci-fi series in the 90s that got a TV show and lots of merch and is still beloved uh, today, 20 years later. So, you know, what do I know? What do I know? With that rant out of the way, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, Join me again next week uh, for when we continue this adventure with the Howlers and the Escort and this strange, strange alien planet. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>